Hi everyone, it's Dina McKay, and I'm back with a brand new episode of Black Tech Unplugged, a podcast that allows Blacks in tech to share their authentic stories with you, the listener. On each episode, the guest talks about how they got into tech, their work in the industry, and lessons they've learned during their journey. You can find full show notes for this episode on blacktechunplugged.com. Before I introduce this episode's guest, I want to remind everyone that Black Tech Unplugged is turning two in June. So to celebrate, I'm having a live podcast on June 13th in Chicago. If you haven't grabbed your tickets already, make sure you head over to blacktechunpluggedlive.eventbrite.com. And you can also find the link in the show notes. Now, in episode 26, I have Solome Tilbu. Solome is an investor and tech entrepreneur who is passionate about tech transforming digital health, behavioral health, and more. Being that May is Mental Health Month, I thought she would be a great guest to share with the Black Tech Unplugged audience on how tech is affecting the health space, as well as what we can do to help those close to us who are dealing with mental health issues. In addition, Solome is an investor at Launchpad Digital Health, which is the most active early-stage venture capital firm in digital health. And prior to joining Launchpad, Solme was the founder and CEO of behavioral health startup Cognifit. And you'll hear about both of these businesses during the episode. I hope you enjoy this episode. And if you do, make sure to rate and subscribe on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you're listening to the podcast today. Now let's get it. Hi, everyone. I'm here with Solome Tibabu. Hi. And Solome, I want you to give my listeners an introduction of yourself. So I'm um, so pleased to be on Black Tech Plug. Um, a little bit about me. I am an investor at Launchpad Digital Health here in San Francisco, where we focus on early stage digital health startups. But my background has been primarily in the intersection of tech, innovation, mental health, And so just a quick overview of that from Minneapolis originally and had really bad anxiety and obsessive compulsive disorder growing up. There wasn't really anything online. And so I started a website called anxietyandteens.com in 2006. And that really led me onto a more entrepreneurial career. Um, I had a tech startup, a mental health tech startup called Cognific for several years. I uh, worked for a large behavioral health software company for a few years in New York, and then more recently, last couple of years here in San Francisco. Awesome. And yay, because you're a Midwest girl too. But I mean, how did you get involved with Launchpad Digital Health? And Yeah. So um, like I said, I was a founder myself um, back in Minneapolis, had started um, one of the earlier mental health startups. Now, in the last few years, there are so many of them, it seems. Um, but it was basically um, uh, mental health homework in the form of CBT, ERP for patients, and analytics for the providers who serve them. Um, I started it right out of college, so um, you can only imagine how much I was learning on the job and learned a lot of things the hard way. But regardless, it was a great experience and um, just having had my own startup and then working for other healthcare startups over the years really gave me a a unique perspective to be able to support other founders. And so um, I was at a a different company that also invested and acquired digital health startups uh, last year when I got to know the Launchpad team and 
really liked what they were doing a lot and um, decided it would be a really great fit if I could join their team and and help support the next founders that they invest in. That's great. And one thing that you mentioned is that digital health is growing. And I do see that. And what I like to call it is the intersection of tech and health, at least from my perspective. Yeah. Digital health is really using technology to transform our healthcare industry, which as many of the listeners might already know, is uh, very complex and could use a lot of help and evolution. And so here at Launchpad, you know, we'll, we'll describe digital health pretty broadly as it applies to startups, anything from insure tech to pop health, women's health, behavioral health. And um, so pretty broad, however, um, doesn't include medical device or life sciences typically. How have you seen it grow in the last couple of years? Yeah, the changing landscape in healthcare has been evolving so much from a, a regulatory perspective. Um, of course, the ACA has changed access for a lot of individuals, the reimbursement models, the cost for not just um, <clears throat> typical payers, but now uh, for really employers who are bearing more and more of the cost, consumers who are bearing more and more of the healthcare costs. This is really all these things have um, been drivers in the need for innovation in healthcare. And so um, in recent years, there have been new reimbursement codes that have helped to support new solutions in telemedicine and, uh, and other care models that are focusing on healthcare outside the four walls of hospitals um, and really bringing care into the home and into the community to better support individuals, especially people um, who are really underserved patient markets, um, really excited about solutions in that space. Uh, a lot of just the regulatory environment is, is starting to become more aware and mature of how we can potentially create new solutions and deliver them to these populations. And so um, all of those things really have led to uh, a good atmosphere to, to do more in the space. And another thing that you mentioned previously is that you yourself are a founder. And I want you to let my listeners know the company that you created and talk about the experience that you had as a founder in the space. Yeah, for sure. That's especially the last question is a <laughs> huge question. So I'll do yeah. my best in just how that's really changed me and, and my outlook on things. And so, uh, so like I said, I had really bad anxiety and OCD as a young person and just wasn't able to find much online. And so um, after starting my blog, Anxiety and Teens, uh, I decided in college I wanted to pursue an entrepreneurship major. And um, my issue was that I was seeing various therapists for my anxiety, which that in and of itself was a bit of a journey in, in my family. Um, there really wasn't a word for obsessive compulsive disorder in either of my parents' languages. And so just probably, uh, I guess I'll say extra barriers to eventually getting the care I needed. But fortunately, um, sooner than later, I, I did eventually get to see some qualified professionals for it. Um, but ultimately, once I was there, they were giving me my mental health homework for the week. You can think about it um, on this little post-it note. 
And they're like, okay, so let me go home and do these very challenging OCD exposure therapy exercises with no structure or guidance or anything like that, and then come back next week. And if I didn't lose that little post-it note on the car ride home, you know, I came back and she didn't remember what she wrote. And I just felt like there was a big disconnect in, um, in the care. And so that led to starting that startup. And I did that for a few years, but uh, one issue was that intrinsically it was an efficiency tool. So how can I, the patient, get better faster with this technology? And at the time, and especially for mental health, still the market is very much fee for service. And so, um, you know, what is the incentive for providers to want to help get the patient better faster from a financial perspective? Uh, <laughs> it's, of course, a lot of professionals that go in the field. They obviously want to do it so they can help individuals, but um, that that business model was a hard sell for some of the larger systems I talked to. And so um, it wasn't until really more in recent years that uh, there's been a transformation. We've been marching toward this for years and years, but really now it is happening um, that we're moving toward from fee-for-service toward value-based care, where now providers are being paid on outcomes We've probably heard a lot about just more generally, how do we reduce usage of emergency rooms? How do we reduce readmissions to the hospital system? And and so a lot of these innovations are now able to to really make sense from a financial perspective to a lot of these organizations. Payers are turning into providers. Providers are turning into payers. And um, I think it's a really exciting time for, for innovators in the space. And that's great to hear because I cannot imagine going to a therapy session and coming out with a post-it note of what I'm supposed to do. Yeah, that's, I will it, say just more in this space specifically, um, it's exciting to see that a lot of solutions are tackling access to care, which I'm especially excited about. Um, especially for people of color, there's so many extra barriers to um, getting mental health care. And there are some interesting folks who are working on new solutions that are, are making it easier for all sorts of individuals to get the care that they, that they need through technology. And let's actually talk about the access of mental health care for people of color. For your experience and the people that you've interacted with in regards to mental health, have you found that for people of color, it's harder to get assistance? Yeah, definitely it is. You know, like I said, even in my own experience, there's an added stigma around mental health issues. Like I said my parents didn't even know that there was a phrase for OCD. <laughs> um, and so it took some extra time. But outside of that, still today, you know, people of color, it's an extra level of stigma, uh, cost continue to be prohibitive for a lot of folks and um, and really just a lack of culturally, culturally competent providers still seems to be uh, a huge issue. I think, I'm trying to, don't quote me on this, but I think American Psychological Association, something like one or two percent of black psychologists available and that's, it's even. And so that just makes it extra hard when you feel like you know, you're being as vulnerable as possible and 
the person on the other end can't really understand you very well. And so I think all of those things lead to um, issues for individuals to, to engage. Right. And being that you have personal experience with having a disorder and having your parents not understand where you were coming from in regards to getting help, What are some ways that we can assist our parents or even friends and family from the stigma that comes with having these disorders and actually trying to seek help? Yeah, that's such a great question. Fortunately, I feel like the conversations um, more broadly are are happening and, and we have to do more of that, especially not just in the media, but as individuals. And so, like, I'm just off the top of my head, even like, you know, Taraji P. Henson, her new foundation for Black Mental Health, they've got an event coming up next month. Um, even, I don't want to say very much, but comment, talking about mental health. It's like these conversations are happening, but really it starts at home. And so, um, I, it, it took me some time to be able to, um, how shall I say, set the right boundaries and feel comfortable enough to self-disclose. But eventually I, I kind of went uh, a little overboard with it and, you know, gave a TED talk and started this website and really leaned into it. And um, I do think that a lot of friends and family learned a lot. I'd like to think learned a lot about OCD and anxiety as a result of the things that I was doing. And so, um, for us as individuals who are struggling with it, you know, to the extent that we're comfortable eventually disclosing. But outside of that, it, it's, it's also really critical that family and friends seek out psychoeducation to, um, to understand these issues. So it's, of course, May is Mental Health Awareness Month, and a lot of people are supportive of that. But what does that actually mean? Like, you have to go find out and seek out what what these experiences are for individuals who are struggling to really be able to empathize. And so researching and learning. And I do want to circle back on something that you mentioned. And I feel like this happens in a lot of scenarios, even just in the tech industry alone, let alone at mental health, is that we can't find people who look like us and understand our situation in order to help us. Is there any... Mm -hmm advancements or innovation that has started that can help us from that perspective? Yeah, it's it's, it's such a great point. I think we're slowly but surely marching in the right direction. And so, um, like, I think even the individuals who are listening to this, you know, super plugged into tech, I'm thinking back to a conversation that I had with a fellow member of Black Tech Women who she worked at one of the large tech companies that are providing um, all sorts of wellness perks for employees. And one of them was therapists on site, which is great. However, none of them were people of color. So she's saying, I still have to travel out to Oakland to see my therapist there because there just wasn't anyone on site at work that could, you know, really fit my needs. And, so it's things like that where I think we're we're marching in the right direction, but still needs a lot of work. Uh, fortunately, there are startups that are starting to tackle uh, the access issue. Um, one of them, for example, uh, Henry Health is one of, um, that's been making a lot of progress. I've 
really had the good fortune of getting to know the founder there, Kevin, um, making it easier for black men in particular that they're starting there to access teletherapy through their platform. And so it's fun to see new innovations like this coming out regularly, and um, I'm excited for their evolution. Actually, that leads me to my next question, which is, what are some of the startups or companies that are currently addressing mental health issues? So just the one that I I mentioned right there, um, uh, Henry Health, that was uh, started by um, an individual based in Washington, D.C. Kevin Dedner had a professional career and um, was finding that he was um, burning out and struggling with depression pretty severely, but again, the access to competently uh, cultural uh, individuals who are uh, mental health professionals was lacking so much that he said, let me go ahead and start this startup to um, not only provide the the dialogue and platform for black men to access therapy, but offer a training program for therapists who want to be able to better serve this market. And so that's one startup. Um, I was just recently introduced to the founder of MindRight, um, Ashley, who's creating a solution for teens to be able to access intersectional quality mental health care and emotional support through text messaging. Um, and so MindRight is the name of that startup. Really neat the work that they're doing. Thank you. And did you have another one? Yeah. I'll, let me say this. I... Um, I'll put in a plug for my own here. Uh, I write a monthly behavioral health tech and innovation uh, newsletter, which is called Rethink Behavioral Health Innovation. And we feature one new startup, just like the ones I mentioned, each month. And so um, you'll have to see who I'll reveal next. But if you want to check that out, that's called Rethink Behavioral Health Innovation. And how can people subscribe to that newsletter? Just rethinkbhi.com. That's a simple page there. Thanks so much. No problem. And what made you want to start that? Yeah, it was just um, something that I was already writing about and talking about on social media um, for fun. And I started to learn about um, the fact that this is not only a topic that I'm very interested in, but a lot of others are interested in um, from an investment perspective. So I was getting a lot of other investors and um, institutional folks at different healthcare systems who are interested in investing in behavioral health startups, but didn't really know where to go or just wanted a an idea of what the digital behavioral health landscape was. And so I said, hmm, why don't we get more organized with this? And so... Um, uh, long time, uh, a longtime mentor of mine, Dr. Steve Ramsland, and I said, why don't we just start a newsletter about it? And so we've been doing that since last year. Awesome. So for all my listeners, make sure that you sign up for the newsletter. It's going to be a great resource, especially if you're looking for information in regards to mental health and digital health. So your mission of starting and getting involved in digital health came from your own instance of having a disorder. And I want you to go through the story of what was your one trigger moment where you said, okay, I need to start seeking help. Yeah, that's, um, that's a great question. Cause I have, um, you know, it, the onset of the OCD and anxiety really came as a teenager and, and I can think back very clearly 
of when that happened, um, you know, I was doing well in school and um, dealing with the regular teen stuff, but um, somehow it felt like it kind of came out of the blue in middle school. Um, but really what I want to talk about here is um, after I started managing the anxiety, I got the help I needed as a teen and um, uh, eventually started sharing my story more. And I started managing the anxiety and OCD so well that it really wasn't an issue for several years. But what I really want to talk about here more is just when it came back full force as an adult. Because um, I think a lot of people here might be able to relate to that a little better. Um, it was I was living in New York and it was um, a pretty stressful job. But um, <clears throat> I, like I said, at this point, I was already managing the OCD for several years. It wasn't something that was top of mind, at least anymore, distracting me from school and 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 life like it once did. Um, but really, it after a perfect storm of um, a lot of stressful things happening at once, I think that really triggered the obsessive compulsive disorder to come back. And um, that was really a surprise to me because um, even after learning so much about uh, mental illness and, and being an advocate for several years, um, I realized that I kind of fell into a trap myself saying, oh, wow, look at me. I overcame this. Now I can go talk about it and, you know, live my life. But mm-hmm. what occurred to me is, oh, wow, no, actually, this is a chronic issue that I'm going to be dealing with for the rest of my life. And so on top of the actually having to go through the treatment and dealing with it once again, there was that added Uh, I guess you could say grief about accepting that fact. And uh, I guess no one really told me that that's how these things worked. And um, that was really challenging for me, but it really led me to reevaluate what is important to me and what it is that I'm doing with my life and time. And I would say that uh, really drove me to focus on some of the things that I'm, I'm, I'm doing today that I'm really passionate about and probably wouldn't have done if it weren't for that situation. What's interesting is that you brought up that this is something that you will have for the rest of your life. And to be honest, when having conversations around mental health, I've actually never heard someone say that before. And Mm -hmm. I would love if you can expand on that whole concept. It sounds like there are periods where you're doing okay and everything's fine, but it doesn't go away. Yeah. So exactly. Basically, um, it's not like there's a cure. It's a disorder. You know, it's, right. um, it's something that, uh, yeah, it's just, it's not necessarily, it might not completely go away forever. Um, however, I want to be very clear that once I, I sought out the, the treatment that I needed, I, it was so manageable and it is manageable even for me today. And so these issues are very treatable. There are uh, evidence-based tools and, and treatments that are proven and they work. It's really just a matter of making sure that we have access to them and, and follow through on them. Um, and, you know, it depends on, on, on who you are and what your situation is. 
course, one combination of therapy and medication might work for some person, not for another person. And, and I would say even personally, there's quite a bit of trial and error to find out what that, uh, what that combination was. But once I did, uh, yeah, it was, um, it, it is very manageable and, um, that, that's really the message I want to drive home. And, and now even, um, you know, I, I even thinking back when the OCD came back, it was, I, I want to say, um, the, the intensity was as intense as it had ever been, but the treatment, I started remembering like, oh, I've done this before. I was capable of overcoming it once. I'm going to do it again. And um, the the tools that I learned in therapy build on each other. And so once I could refine and, and brush up on some of those skill sets where I was a little rusty, um, I could implement them and uh, uh, I got better again. So so these things are manageable and treatable. I think that is going to be very helpful, especially for my listeners who might have a disorder, that it is manageable, but it doesn't right. go away. And I think that's just a point that no one's ever really talked about. Yeah, I will just say, and of course, I'm, I'm not a clinician, so this is by no means medical advice, but um, you know, there's a difference between anxiety and an anxiety disorder. And I think that's on one hand, helps people to relate to to, to that, um, to anxiety in particular. You know, we all experience anxiety, but really when it becomes an issue of uh, interrupting our daily lives in school or work or relationships um, to the extent that, that we can't manage it, then, then yeah, it's an anxiety disorder. And, um, <clears throat> and so I just, I, I want to point that out too. And I do have a question, and this is even coming just in regards to our conversation today and how people are wording things when it comes to mental health. So from your perspective, do you see having obsessive compulsive disorder versus mental health itself? Is there kind of like a difference? Like, do people see anxiety as different than a mental health disorder? Is everything lumped together? I want to make mm-hmm. sure that people who are listening, one, understand the terminology that we should be using in regards to this case, but also how we should be addressing other people. And I think that, again, stems from the Black community and the stigma that we have. A lot of people think if I have anxiety and I say I have a mental health disorder, then people think I'm crazy, if that mm-hmm. makes sense. Yep, definitely. Um, yeah, I do feel that um, while things are changing, um, certainly, there is still so much stigma, um, more so, of course, for severe mental illness, for you know things like um, bipolar disorder, schizophrenia. Definitely, um, unfortunately, the stigma is still there, um, but it's so common too. Like with one in five people, one in four really is struggling with a mental health disorder that um, really distracts them from their da- daily lives. Say National Institute of Mental Health, um, that's that's their quote. It's it's so common and we just have to continue getting the word about that, that uh, that's really the only way that um, I think that stigma will reduce over time. And, um, you know, people of color have had uh, poor experiences with the healthcare system in the past and, and all the other barriers that I've said earlier. So that this 
of course makes things um, even more challenging. But but yeah, I think um, starting at your point, starting with uh, I, I do think that things like talking about some of the more milder issues like uh, mild anxiety and and things like uh, how mindfulness has really been a catalyst for the younger generations to embrace self-care and mental health and wellness. I think that's really the gateway to to opening up about actually these are all of the issues that we're dealing with and um, and and that's a step in the right direction for sure. And I do want to switch gears a little bit and talk about the future of digital health. And so from your perspective, what do you see as the future for digital health in the space that you're in? Yeah, wow, it's exciting. <laughs> I'll say that. Um, <clears throat> I, I mean, it's changing so rapidly in so many ways. And, um, you know, that, that could be, it's a whole podcast in, of itself. But I guess to stay on topic for just more specifically behavioral health, um, I'm, I'm really uh, excited to see what's happening in, as it relates to integrated care and care coordination, um, and bringing behavioral health care outside of the four walls of the hospital and emergency room. Um, And so basically, what does that mean? Making sure that we are connecting physical health and behavioral health in our care delivery. Um, And and sometimes that means it'll be through technology. Sometimes it's not. Sometimes it's just within making sure that we have mental health professionals um, on site or via telemedicine for primary care offices or um, you know, that, that can mean different things, but um, I personally am excited to see that with the reduction of stigma and the recognition of what mental health care costs our system um, and um, just an awareness around the need to invest more in the space, um, I'm really looking forward to behavioral health, um, everything from mental health care, substance use treatment, um, IDD, to be able to be more available for the masses in a cost-effective and efficient way. I love the idea of having a therapist or someone that could be an outside source of support at a job or on-site, so to speak. Do you think more companies will start doing that? I think um, with a lot of these kinds of things, um, we're starting to see all of that happen first at the larger tech companies in Silicon Valley. And of course, that's just a small sliver of um, the workforce that many, uh, especially Americans here, we're talking about um, experience. And so that's still just such a nascent space. But um, more and more, as employers across the country are seeing a changing workforce, they're starting to reevaluate uh, what kind of offerings that they're making available for their employees, um, especially those larger employers that are moving toward a more self-insured model. They're more keen on adopting tools to help um, their uh, associates uh, be able to manage all sorts of health issues. And so really moving toward or beyond EAP, Employee Assistance Program Platforms 1.0, into um, more dynamic offerings that are um, really meeting the needs of millennials, Gen Z, and and so forth. Great. And besides the overarching, what do you see for the future? What do you see for the future for yourself and where you're going? Oh, gosh. I can't <laughs> help you on next week, but um, <laughs> I'm just... Uh, 
I'm I'm excited to to be doing what I'm doing right now, and um, I'm I'm looking forward to. I didn't get a chance to say it earlier, but um, the uh, art portfolio we've got eighty uh, percent founders who are minority women from another country, um, which is uh, not very typical for a venture capital firm to be able to say about their founders. And so I'm I'm excited to continue that trajectory. Um, I'm involved with a lot of uh, initiatives and organizations that help to support diversity, not only amongst uh, founders, underrepresented founders, but also investors too. And so um, I think there are stats, depending on the source, where it's just like in the single digits for um, female and black women who are investors and Really, if we're going to fund more uh, people of color entrepreneurs, they we really also have to have a diverse uh, funding sources too. So um, I'm I'm excited about supporting that too, as it relates to investing in in digital health startups and beyond. How can we support you and everything that you're doing? Oh, <laughs> I'm I'm just uh, I'm just glad to be here and. Um, and to be able to meet as many of the listeners as I can. And um, uh, I'm sure a lot of them have um, equally amazing stories and so just love the networking and, yeah, just reach out and looking forward to, to meeting people more on an individual basis. And any final words for the listeners or any final advice? Yeah, I'd just say, um, again, you know, we're uh, almost halfway through May is Mental Health Awareness Month, and I just really want to drive home that mental health issues, they are so common and treatable. And so if you're really on the fence about seeking out care, um, you know, the, the hardest is the first step. And so um, seeing a therapist, it can be uncomfortable at first, um, but really it's it's life changing. And so just want to make sure that anyone who's listening, who's thinking about it, um, definitely recommend seeking them out and hopefully this month too. Awesome. And thank you so much, Salome, for your time today and providing my listeners with amazing information. Thanks so much, Dina. Thanks for listening to episode 26 of Black Tech Unplugged. I'm Dina McKay, and you can find the podcast at Black Tech Unplugged on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. And if you haven't already, please go subscribe to the podcast on iTunes, Spotify, or anywhere else that you're listening. If you have a few extra minutes, make sure to leave a five-star review too. It would help me out a lot and help other people find the podcast. And I noticed we've been a little quiet on social media, so make sure if you post about the podcast that you tag us too. Till next time.